Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, Hong Kong cinema hits social media week, Kevin survives Shanghai, and we look at the films The Lion Roars 2, Black and White, The Dawn of Assault, and Moonrise Kingdom. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and lots of stuff in between. It is Tuesday, September 4th, 2012. As usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me from his secret location, back from Shanghai, gone into hiding, right here in the Fragrant Harbor, is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, everybody. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. You made it back. You survived to the mainland. How was that? It was good. I mean, I'd never been to, uh, you ever been to Shanghai, Paul? I went, uh, I want to say back in 2002. And I know it's changed a lot since then. I mean, I know that they've, you know, some of the major cities like Beijing and Shanghai have had a lot of development in the past 10 years. But back when I went, I was not that impressed. Hmm. Um, basically, being a part of Hong Kong's infrastructure, um, I've gotten spoiled. And so when I was in Shanghai and seeing sort of the state of their infrastructure, again, this is back in 2002, um, I was just kind of anxious to get back to Hong Kong. Of course, that was at the end of a month-long trip across China, uh, starting out in the west, in in western region, and then traveling east across China to different places, and finally ending up in Shanghai. So I was kind of weary um, as it was. you know, we had a nice time. I met some really nice people. We stayed at one of the universities there, but uh, the the city itself just didn't do a whole lot for me. How was your experience? I mean, what were what were your thoughts? Well, I, I've only been to a few Chinese cities, and you know, Shenzhen and and uh, Wudamush, and obviously very very different sides of China. But you know, someone who's who's who hasn't really had the most pleasant look of or, or experience at Shenzhen, um, I thought Shanghai was quite refreshing. You know, there are a lot of trees and. And, you know, it's a huge city, of course, but uh, the subway system works fine. And I, I flew into um, Hongqiao Airport, which is closer to a big city. And I took a 10-minute subway ride and got to the – and another 10-minute walk to, to, to the hotel. It was very um, – it was all very easy to navigate. It's not really easy to navigate, but it was all rather trouble-free, you know. Um, city felt safer than, let's say, I would uh, if I was at Shenzhen. Um, and the trees, I really was uh, pleasantly surprised. By the trees on the road, it has very um a Taipei vibe to the city. I think. Yeah. Um, but oh, you know, I I'm, I didn't get to see much of a city because I, I wasn't really there for sightseeing. Uh, I was there for mostly to do some work, and I, I stuck in mostly around the same maybe two three mile radius the mm-hmm. whole time. Um, so I didn't get to see much, but you know, I saw the the uh, I saw a couple of cinemas, uh, a couple of huge malls, uh, very. Modern development, very much uh, quickly developing, kind of looking like Hong Kong, some of the nicer malls. Um, but I would say I, I have a much better impression of Shanghai than I did, uh, than I do have of Shenzhen. 
Uh, partly because I guess two different cities. Once, once a more you know newer city, a lot of migrant workers and um, known for I guess more crime and kind of like a very different city. I've been told than than what what traditional a traditional Chinese city is like. So so it was kind of a I wouldn't say an eye opener, but but it was a pleasant surprise how much I I like Shanghai. Hmm. So you think you'll go back? Um, yeah, I, I met I met um, I met someone from the Shanghai Film Festival when I was there, and and um, and even and also my my partner who was working with me, we he talked a lot about the festival, and it sounded like a even though as, as huge as it sounds, I mean we were talking about twenty eight cinemas playing almost you know over two hundred films within the course of nine days, so it's not going to be an experience like the Hong Kong International Film Festival where you can really go movie hop the whole day. But uh, it sounds like it, it will be a fun. Uh, it will be a fun experience to to try next year. Hmm. So yeah, you got so you got some work done. You met some contacts, and uh, they let you leave. That's yeah, the, that's and, the most important part, right? <laughs> yes, and I even saw Batman for the third time. And now, did you see it in the big? Uh, you know, the, what, what are they? Uh, the the big uh, digital version. Um, the, the, the IMAX version or the the four K version? The four K version, yeah. No, the, the cinema I went to, which is the Shanghai Film Art Center, which uh, is where the actually is where the Shanghai Film Festival is 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 run out of uh, during festival time. I saw on the biggest screen, which is a, a thou- I'm talking about a thousand seat theater, but huge screen, a uh, very nice uh, audio system, but they did not have a 4K projector. Hmm. So I saw a 2K projection, uh, which is essentially the same thing we got here in Hong Kong. Um, the screen's a little too big for it, so it, feel, it felt a little blown up. But the, the sound was very nice, and the cinema was very nice. Um, it's a top-notch cinema, except for the audience, which is something you can expect from 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 China, I suppose. But what was yeah, wrong um, with the audience? No, just you know, your usual Chinese audience, you know, talky, and of course the moment where you know the little kid sings the national anthem um, before the 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 big explosion in the middle right when the song starts going it's really quiet and it's you know it's really haunting and you know something's coming and suddenly (laughs) (laughs) on my right and that guy's that guy apparently did not know how to turn on a vibrate on his phone because his phone ran multiple times throughout the movie. Yeah, but it's just something you 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 kind of expect by now when you go watch a movie in China. But that's, that's a skill that you know needs to be taught from kindergarten on up. I think how so. How to turn on I think vibrate from now on. How to how to turn off your cell phone's ringtone. I mean, it's not that hard. it's not supposed to be that hard. You know, but it's not even turning the cell. You know, they they always say please turn off your phone, right? You don't even have to do that. Just put it on silent mode. It's not that yes. difficult, people. Exactly, um, but um, lucky, you know, fortunately, it was um, it was a Friday afternoon, so it was a very quiet. It was uh, there were only about fifty to hundred people, you know, in a in a thousand seat theater, you know, then it feels very uh, sparse and you feel roomy. Um, so it wasn't. You know, I can't expect. I can't. I can't imagine. You know, if that if that theater is full. But do they have those people uh, in terms of the showing times? Are they showing like normal showing times throughout the day? Yeah, essentially that uh, the the, Hong, the Shanghai Film Watch Center only has about I think eight to nine screens. Yeah, and uh, literally eight of those screens were for either Spider Man or Batman. So I, I I can't imagine. I mean, just having a, a a theater of that size that you'd be able to fill it, you know, um, more often than not. I think I think during the festival, of course, it would be filled for the high profile films. Um, and I think for bigger films, you know, we're talking Batman and Spider-Man here. And I think during the weekend, they probably do do fill it um, at least, you know, a good 70, 80 percent capacity. It is the Shanghai Film Art Center is one of the uh, top 20 grossing uh, cinemas in all of China. 
So so people do do go there, and I also stop by a couple of cinemas uh, around the neighborhood. And I mean, at least two or three more. And again, they're same pattern. They were all showing Batman and Spider Man, and lines were filling up. And I saw a couple of shows that were full, indeed full. Were they were they showing like uh, the bullet vanishes or anything current from China? Um, essentially, they were only doing one to two showings a day because only one screen was left to share among the the local films or the smaller films. Mm-hmm. So uh, either they were showing, uh, so they would do me one show of Bullet Vanishes, one show of Silent War, and uh, one show of like Holding Love, the mini Yang film, and other stuff. Essentially, one screen is devoted, spread among those five movies. Uh, everything else went to Spider Man. Well, that, that's really weird. I mean, we we, we do talk at times about uh, you know the dominance of Hollywood in in uh, foreign markets, and that just really makes it so apparent, doesn't it? I mean. It's really because of if they have opened separately, let's say if Batman opened that weekend, we would not be getting, you know, Batman in eight screens. Yeah. We would be getting maybe three or four screens and the rest would, would be evenly spread among the, the, the films like, you know, Bullet Vanish. They would, would probably still have one screen. But the China Film Group and SARF decide to, you know, try and um, pit these films against one another on purpose. So when you have two two very, very um, hot movies, they're very, very high in demand, um, then the cinemas to meet those those demand the the cinemas have no choice but to which i still think i I know we talked about this before i just think that's weird because you know it's not like a title fight you know it's if if you're gonna go see one that doesn't mean you're not gonna go see the other the next day or something right well Um, but but with with chinese people's uh uh, um with the um how do i say the living conditions or the living index or by the Wages they make and the price of movie tickets. We're talking about hundred. We're talking about one ticket being ten, you know, ten percent of their monthly salary. They're likely only to choose one film, sadly. But um, we'll talk about a little more about that when we talk about the China box office for the week because the results are out. All right, yeah. sounds good. Um, before we get on to that, I do want to throw out a quick mention. Uh, please go um, on uh, Twitter or go on Google Plus and or just go on the internet on Google and do a search for negative cutters. Uh, this is a show from uh, John Beck, a friend of mine uh, that I've met uh, through doing some other podcast work with um, uh, for a, a mutual friend of ours. And he invited me. He, he does this show where he basically looks at movie trailers and uh, they do some analysis of the film. Do they think, you know, how, how effective is the trailer? Um, do they think it's something that's going to be interesting? Has the trailer piqued, uh, you know, the interest of the viewer? And what are people saying about the trailer on uh, some of the blog sites and, and movie sites, like things like YouTube and whatnot. Um, so he invited me to come on for a few episodes, so I'm, I'm there as a guest. So if you have a, the time and the inclination, you'll get to see my ugly mug, because it is a video podcast, um, talking about uh, three films in total. I was on for three episodes, and I really appreciate the fact that he uh, asked me to be on. It was certainly an honor. And uh, it's a really good show. So if you're interested in movies, uh, please do go and check out Negative Cutters. Um, all right. Uh, speaking of film, though, we do have some films to talk about this week, right? What are we going to be talking about, Kevin? Yeah, for East Screen, we'll be talking about uh, The Lion Roars 2, starring Cecilia Chen, uh, and uh, Black and White, The Dawn of Assault, starring Mark Chow and Huan Bo. Uh, for West Screen, I'll be talking about Wes Anderson's uh, Moonrise Kingdom. All right. All of that and much more coming up right after a little bit of news. <laughs> All right, so not a whole lot of news this week. Uh, just one little bit of news story that I came across that I thought I'd throw out there to people interested in social media, people interested in Hong Kong film. 
or film in general, and people who are going to be in Hong Kong uh, in the very near future, uh, they are having this event called Social Media Week. Now, Social Media Week is um, sort of a gathering. It's sort of like a, it's kind of like a film festival, except for social media people, where they get together and they talk about the latest technology, the latest trends in social media. They compare notes and and some people do presentations on things they're working on. Some people uh, discuss the theories about behind social media and, and its influences and things like that. Um, so what, how does that uh, you know, affect people who are interested in film? Well, in the Social Media Week for Hong Kong, which is occurring, um, let me just make sure I get the dates right, September 24th through the 28th. Um, so that is uh, a, basically a week long here uh, towards the end of September. Uh, later this month, in fact, um, on Wednesday, the 26th, there will be a talk called The New Microfilm Trend. And this talk will be featuring uh, uh, local film director Hayward Mack um, and uh, Rafi uh, Kamalayan, if I'm saying that correctly, uh, the, the CEO of uh, AliveNotDead.com. Um, and uh, a couple other speakers will be in there as well, but uh, those were the two that sort of uh, kind of caught my eye. Um, and basically if you just, uh, we'll, I'll put a link in the, in the notes and, uh, if you're going to be passing through Hong Kong or, uh, around that time and you're interested, um, you might want to look that up. Up, uh, actually, as I look at it now, it looks like it's already sold out, but, uh, I'm not sure if they're going to be, they've got a streaming, uh, symbol here. So they might be streaming the, the event if I understand that correctly. So you might be able to watch it, um, online. You, if you, you can't get tickets to attend in person. These events are very, very small, uh, and, and sometimes they get, uh, you know, very sort of intimate uh, settings for some of them. So they'll have like 20 spaces available. But because it's social media, they try and have alternative means for people worldwide to participate. Anyway, that is happening Wednesday, the 26th. Um, it is scheduled from 7.30 to 9 p.m. And uh, again, if you do a search for socialmediaweek.org and you go to the Hong Kong section and you can look at the schedule and you can find out more details um, especially if you're interested in, you know, uh, hearing from the work, uh, hearing about the, the, the work and this idea of the new microfilm trend, which I guess is a trend in mainland China. Um, it's just a marketing term for short films, really. Yeah. Um, they, what, what yeah. they call in China and in, in, I guess in Mandarin, Wei Dianying. Um, and it's, yeah, it, it is kind of a marketing thing. And, uh, I've, I've spoken with, uh, uh, a friend of the show, Marco Spomberg, uh, if he was going to go or if he was going to, uh, you know, be go to this talk or do a talk of his own uh, about this idea. Um, I'm not sure if it's really a new idea, but I think, you know, it'd be interesting to hear some of their takes on it. Um, so again, if you're interested, go over and check that out. A uh, little bit of other news. Uh, as you were talking about, uh, Kevin, they pitted Spider-Man and Batman head to head. Uh, and you're saying that Spider-Man came out on top. Yes, uh, the results came out this afternoon. And actually, this comes with an asterisk. Uh, because, uh, first of all, yes, Spider so Spider-Man, in the end, uh, over seven days, they both opened on August 27th. Uh, Spider-Man uh, made $224 million RMB, uh, or yuan, I guess, um, over seven, over Monday, Tuesday, seven days. Uh, while Batman made um, $214 million yuan. Now, yes, this does sound like uh, um, Spider-Man beat Batman, but actually this is not true because Spider-Man was not only 3D, which meant higher ticket prices, but it also played on IMAX 3D, which meant way higher ticket prices. So in the end, actually, emissions-wise, um, 
uh, Batman attracted 5.29 million uh, emissions, while Batman, uh, Spider-Man only attracted 5.02 million emissions. So actually more people went to see Batman than, than Spider-Man. Hmm. So uh, in the end, yes, you could say that uh, um, Spider-Man won the battle, but I think Batman will win the war in the end because um, even up to Sunday when Prometheus opened uh, and joined in the fight, um, Batman was still holding up, uh, was still taking up a lot of screenings, taking up a lot of shows. Uh, actually, still had the most 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 screenings uh, lined up uh, compared to all the other films playing in China at the time. Um, so Batman, I think, has a long long road ahead and. Um, and before we were talking, I think Paul, you were asking about why why Sarf would put these these two films together, right? Yeah. Earlier, um, the reason is okay. Um, we have to look back in Transformers. Uh, when Transformers reopened, um, the film opened really big because that essentially was the only big dominant Hollywood film playing, and that movie ended up um, getting what I call a, a per per emission um, a per screening emission of up to like 90, 90 emissions per show average. So that's, if you imagine how big uh, your typical multiplex is uh, in China, maybe 150 seats. That means each screening, uh, each screening had at least 90 people, more or less, in each screening, which is a huge, huge number because Pain of Skin, now the, the, the highest grossing Chinese film in history, only had a 70, 70 per, per screening average uh, in terms of emissions. Now, by putting these films to, against each other, they would kind of cancel each other, and gross essentially essentially means that, like I said earlier, people have to be forced to choose one film, uh, and and that would lower both films' box office. So actually, in the end, it kind of worked because uh, Spider-Man, Batman only got a uh, I think forty to fifty, forty-seven to fifty-one or so uh, per screening emission average, which is actually way lower than Titanic uh, and way lower than Transformers. Um, and even though yes, it will come out making you know maybe four, three, four hundred million, uh, it still, it, it it still didn't make as much as say uh, I think they would have made if they opened individually. So in a way, Sarf did kind of win here by 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 putting these movies against each other. And with Prometheus opening, that's gonna take up actually um, that's gonna take up way more screens. And then two days, which means today, two days after Prometheus opened, The Expendables two also opened. So now you have four huge, huge, huge Hollywood movies. Um, it's going to take up all the screens in China. Um, and it doesn't matter anymore because um, domestic films had two months of protection period. And at the end of September, there will be another month of uh, domestic film protection period. So these four films will have this entire month to kind of just duke it out. And on average, actually, each of these films will make less than they would if they had open individual. So that is our strategy here, Paul. Hmm. So that's why these films are uh, playing against each other, essentially to cancel each other out. So it's not like so it's not only is it, it, it's entertaining for us, but it actually hurts hurts not only the audiences because then they're likely to turn to to turn to to choose the one film they want to see the most, and then turn to um, pirate DVDs for the rest. Um, you know, it also hurts um, the the reputation of I guess the China market for Hollywood investors. They would just maybe if if Sarf keep keeps pulling this and then you know then then one day um this not what you call protectionist this really petty protectionist uh 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 protectionist uh policy i think i think if, if china really wanted to protect their films they could do something like korea where they do it by positive positive reinforcement by forcing domestic films um to play for a certain amount of days which means they're forcing cinemas to keep 
domestic films in theaters. I don't care what films, as long as they're domestic films. Um, instead of doing these little petty little backdoor strategy to to try and hurt 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 uh, try to hurt the um, overseas film market instead of trying to encourage the domestic film market. Interesting. Um, well, I guess you know it's again one of these ideas that uh, you know people. You know, they like to complain about the dominance of Hollywood, though, taking up so much cinema space and forcing out, uh, you know, local films and and uh, national productions and things. And when, when you see stuff like this going on, it just kind of makes you wonder if, uh, you know, if they should uh, think more carefully about it. I mean, I'm sure that there are probably uh, some palms getting greased from Hollywood, you know, uh, to make sure that these things get uh, maximized screen space. Um, and well, the thing is, I, I think Hollywood, I think Warner's was trying to avoid this from happening. They didn't want to 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 have Batman and Spider-Man go head to head because it would hurt. It would hurt their film. And actually, it was stupid for Sarvan because, like I saw in China, all the domestic films essentially lost out, lost out. They they essentially almost halted. The business almost halted for those movies. So while the Silent War, Harry become the second highest grossing film of the year for Chinese film, Chinese films. I mean. They could have had a good couple more weeks. Instead, you had Batman and Spider-Man take up all the screens, and so with the Bullet Advantages. Bullet Advantages only had two weekends before they had to go up. They before they got all their screens taken out, and and if if you know, they could have had the chance to draw out a little longer and maybe get up to at least 30, 30 more million at the box office. Instead, they completely halted this week, and then that's it. You cut off all these domestic films uh, box office takings this week, and they're not going to have a chance until. Domestic films don't have a chance to get their get 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 their ground back until um, the next domestic protection domestic domestic film protection period, which is the end of September. Well, we'll have to keep our eyes peeled. Um, but you know, speaking of films uh, and their box office returns, you have a little bit of news for us about a Korean film that you're actually going to watch later this week, right? Yes, uh, yeah, we were mentioning this because yes, we are watching it this week. Uh, the Korean Heights film, the the Thieves, which is uh, kind of like the Korean version of Ocean's Eleven, um, opened huge, and it is now um, by emissions, by emissions, it is now the second highest grossing Korean film ever, just behind the host. Um, yeah, so twelve point three million tickets, um, which is uh, about seven hundred k behind the uh, the host, which is will always be the which is the champion with thirteen million tickets sold. Um, but of course, by box office taking, by money money wise, it is already the number one local film. Um, so this huge success, which is this pan Asia success, um, because it stars uh, several Hong Kong, Hong Kong actors and Sean Hong Kong and Sean Macau. This is very very good news for the future pan Asian cinema. You know, especially in the in the eyes of or in in the period where you know Chinese cinema is rising and and Japan is is also only looking out for their domestic market. Um, this is very good news for the pan Asian market. I think. Mm. Um, I mean. At the end of the day, though, it does kind of look like an Ocean's Eleven ripoff. <laughs> it is essentially it is, but you know, it, it it tells you that okay, this is how you can sell, this is how you can make a movie for for Asia. We're not sure. I mean, I'm not sure how it's gonna do in all of Asia yet, but I, uh, you know, at least they found a formula. You know, have a lot of big stars, uh, have a director who is known for this genre. Um, the director made uh, Tessa, the High Rollers, and also the Big Swindle. So he's very much known for, and they're both hits. So he's known for this, have the right genre, right director, the right stars, and we talk about very big stars. Um, and it's 
uh, and 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 you know come up with a good good entertaining film, which is what it sounds like it is, um, and you get a hit. It's not that difficult. I mean, China can learn from this. Japan can learn from this. Um, just make entertaining movies for your for audience looking for entertainment, and you know, then this is what you get. Well, we will be back next time to uh, give you Kevin's thoughts and maybe my thoughts on the thieves uh, as we try and get out and uh, watch that in the cinemas. That is the official Love HK film movie night uh, film for this week, uh, although we do have another film on the weekend. And uh, if you're interested in, uh, if you're in Hong Kong and you're interested in coming out to one of the movie nights here, um, uh, drop me a line over on the on uh, Google Plus or an email on the website, and I will uh, add you into that uh, little, we have a little closed uh, circulation whenever we have events. Um, if you'd like to be included, uh, just drop me a message. All right, I think it's time to move on and talk about our films for this week. So, without further ado. All right, uh, first film up for this week is The Lion Roars 2, uh, starring Cecilia Chung and Xiao uh, Xianyang. Uh, so this is a, I guess it's mostly a mainland production, but it is the a sequel in name only uh, to the Hong Kong production, also directed by Joe Ma, of the original film, The Lion Roars, um, which I believe was a 2002 film, um, back then starring... Uh, Cecilia Chung uh, across from um, uh, Mr. Tan himself, Louis Koo, right? Um, <laughs> this film really almost bears no resemblance uh, to the original film, aside from the fact that it does star Cecilia Chung. Um, it's got um, Ben's Hoi, uh, as his, I guess is his English name, uh, Hoi Su Hong, uh, in a small role. And it's also directed by, once again, Joe Ma. Aside from that, really no connection and really uh, very divergent in terms of style and feel and tone. And I'll talk about all of that in just a moment. Uh, you haven't seen this, right, Kevin? No, but I did um, I did do some work for the film. I translated the synopsis of the film actually yeah. back, in, back in May. Okay, so basically this tells the story of uh, Wang Yu Ying who's considered a local bully, and she's a kind of a feminist in the Jingyi province. Basically, she refuses to allow men to have concubines uh, or to remarry, and because of this, the men of, the, of her village are very angry, and her father, who's kind of like a village leader, they, they put pressure, pressure on him to try and solve the situation because the men want to get married, um, or remarried, or married to additional wives in some cases. Um and so they bring in a scholar strategist named Ming Liang, who's played by uh, Xiao Yang from uh, mainland China actor. Uh, and he's brought in to deal with her. And in their dealings, the two of them strike, strike a bargain that if he can be faithful for one year, um, she will marry him at the end of that year. Um, but things get a little bit complicated when a local warlord uh, named Sima Hong threatens to invade. And Ming Liang must face choices between you know, his duty at home and to this this uh, deal, this obligation that he's made with Wang Yuying, or the loyalty that he has uh, to his country and to his, uh, his his leaders, basically his friends. Um, so this the story itself seems like it has potential. Um, again, you've got uh, you know the, the the character dynamic of Cecilia Chung's character. She's uh, she knows martial arts. 
Um, she's sort of a tough girl and the, 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 the kind of quiet scholar uh, character that was also the archetype of Louis Ku's character in the first film. Um, similar archetype here, um, played by, in, in the character of Ming Liang, played by Xiao Shenyang. Um, and, but the premise itself, while I think it was okay, it, it's really weird in that they have this bet that, that sort of sets the deal between the relationship. And basically, the, the bet is, again, he has to be faithful to her for a year. They're not going to, they're just going to live together. They sleep in separate bedrooms. He can't touch her. He can't kiss her. But he also can't look at other women and he can't fool around is basically the bet. And if he does any of that, um, he loses the bet. But if he wins the bet, he gets to marry her, which is weird because I think that's also a losing proposition, right? <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, you win, you lose no matter what you do kind of a thing. Cause who wants to marry her? She's a shrew. Um, she is not a likable person right from the get go. Um, there are some references and some jokes to Three Kingdoms here. So, for example, um, Hoi Su Hung plays a character called Lao Dai, who's basically uh, a variation of uh, Liu Bei from the Three Kingdoms, and he has two brothers who also have similar names to Zhang Fei and uh, Guan Yu. And uh, so there's some jokes there. If you know some things about the Three Kingdoms, there, there's a little bit of humor, a very little bit of humor that you can derive from that. Um, um, and then there's some really weird parts. Uh, there's a scene um, towards the middle where uh, Ming Liang is at a spa with his the enemy, uh, Sima Hong, and they're having like a spa discussion session, you know, about <laughs> what, 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 you know, how, how they're going to beat each other. And then they start massaging each other. And it's really weird, and it brings brought brought to mind this whole idea of you know instead of romance of the three kingdoms, it becomes bromance of the three kingdoms, right? Um, so just some 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 strange moments. The film is really uneven, and there are some scenes that really don't even make sense in the greater context of the story, um, especially when they start to move from the, the this this competition between the two main characters to this whole war thing that's going on. It sort of distracts from the whole bet, the whole competition, even though it's there to sort of throw complications into the story. Um, and it, it made me wonder, when did Joe Ma forget how to make film? Because I really like Joe Ma movies. I've, I, in, you know, in the past, I liked the Lion Roars. I've liked the, you know, the, the Love Undercover stuff that he did. And it seems like this was made by somebody who was new, who really didn't know how to make film, who didn't know how, how to edit. And the timing seems weird, and some of the scene transitions just seem weird. And even the film's overall look wasn't, it wasn't as crisp, it wasn't as clean as some of his older works. And again, this might be indicative of because it's a, it's a mainland China production. There was some discussion after the movie of you know, maybe he was just doing this for a paycheck and, you know, his heart wasn't in it. And we've kind of seen that trend in some, uh, in both actors and directors who've made the move to the mainland. Sometimes uh, they're doing it for a paycheck or they're doing it, but they're restricted in, in what they can do. And so they really can't flex themselves the way they'd like to. And maybe that takes away some things. I'm thinking of um, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Single. What is, wasn't a bad film. Right, but it, Pat, for a Patrick Kong film, it didn't feel like a Patrick Kong film, right? It um, was it was a paycheck project for Joe Ma, but actually, in fact, he was the one that was shopping around for investors. Yeah, so um, trying to trying to double make that money. In fact, Louis Ku turned down the script. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, the script because it was so bad. And and I don't blame him um, because it's just, it, it is kind of weird. Although at, at a certain point watching the movie, I, I was commenting um, to some of the other people we were watching with, I was saying, this isn't a bad story. The premise isn't bad. It's just that a lot of the jokes seem like they were mainland jokes that weren't translating well over to Cantonese and then suffered a further translation into some of the English subtitles. There were quite a few in-joke references between the mainland actors, a lot of whom I didn't know, and learned this after the fact, that there are some things going on there that if you don't follow um, the careers of these actors and some of the things, other work that they've done and, and their relationship with other people in the industry, that a lot of that doesn't come across either. And that's fine. I mean, you get that kind of stuff in Hong Kong cinema as well. Um, but it made me wonder if the film would have actually worked better in Mandarin. A lot of the humor that they seemed like they were trying to draw was on uh, actor Xiao Shenyang's character and his expressions and, and the way that he talks. And I don't know if it came across as well in Cantonese. And maybe it's funnier in Mandarin. Um, I'm, try- I'm thinking of... Um, who- who's the... Who's the actor who's the partner of uh, uh, the singer Anthony Wong? Uh, Tats uh, Lau. You know, he has a very distinctive way of talking that a lot of people find funny in Cantonese. Yes. But if you tra- if you dub him into another language, it just doesn't work, you know, because it's you, you've lost part of his character. And I'm wondering if that was part of the problem here. Um, so it, a lot of the humor just wasn't coming across. There, there People weren't laughing you know, in in the cinema. Um, and I kept thinking, would this be a better movie if it did have a Hong Kong cast and had more of a Hong Kong style humor? I was thinking, you know, if Louis Koo was in this role and you had some more recognizable faces like you had in the first line roars, um, perhaps I would have liked it better. By the end, um, it just, it, it you know, the, the, the few parts that I did like didn't amount to a greater whole. And I just thought, it, it it just felt like it was sloppy and, and not really put together well. And I can't really recommend it. Although I will say that it did something at the very end of the film that I thought was kind of nice because it chose to do something, and I won't reveal what it is, I don't want to spoil it, but it chose to do something which in a normal film of this type, they wouldn't normally make that choice. And so I liked the choice that they made, um, although... I think they could have gone further with it, the way that they kind of just, the the, the film kind of just ends, and, and um, I wasn't that satisfied with the way it ended. I could have, I would have liked it to go on a little bit more. I like a little bit more of an epilogue in stories and things. Um, but overall, it's just, I don't know, it's just, there's just not really enough here. If you're somebody going in looking for, you know, a Hong Kong film based on your expectations from the first film, you will not be satisfied with this film. If you're coming to it fresh, if you're somebody who knows these actors, then yeah, you, you might get some enjoyment out of it. Um, but if you're coming at, to it from somebody who just knows the Hong Kong folks and has those expectations, I'd say, um, yeah, you can, you can skip it. You, you certainly don't want to pay money for it um, off the bat. And you, you did the synopsis, and we were, we were wondering if uh, your name was there in the credits. Did you get credited? I don't know. I haven't seen it, but I only I only uh, um, translated for so they take it they take it take it to the uh, film market. So I'm not sure if my name was yeah. credited at all. Well, I had I, heard I, that I, that this film was 
pretty well received in the mainland. No, no, it's actually one of the worst. Um, Doban is a site you should look at. Doban is a site that collects a lot of users' opinions uh, about essentially really? everything. Because I, I there was and, a there was people saying that it was actually maybe a comeback for Cecilia. No, the the film was a was considered a hit, but mainly because of Xiaobin Yang and and Xiao Shen Yang. Xiaobin Xiaobin Yang. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Zhao Binshang. Zhao Binshang is the guy who plays Cecilia's dad. And yeah. Xiao Shen Yang is um, the the star. They're they're a really really popular comedy team, especially in the north. Uh, they go on the the New Year show every week, and it's actually that's they are the reason why the film is a hit. No one went to see went to see for Cecilia. Yeah. Um, but the Doban, the site that I go to, uh, eight out of eight thousand and one hundred twenty eight votes, sixty nine point two percent of those people give the movie one star out of five. Hmm. And it is averaging a 2.9 out of 10. So it is one of the worst reviewed movies of the year, uh, according to Nessence. So yeah, yeah that's how badly this movie is. Which, which is, is, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Cecilia, but I did like the original, as I said. And I was kind of hopeful for sort of a return to form. And I certainly wasn't expecting this to be as, I don't want to say bad, but as unlikable for me because it was a Joe Ma film. Because um, I tend to really like his style at least the old stuff that he's done but joma hasn't done a proper movie since uh and i'm not trying to look at it since 2000 and i i did make a joke at the end when we were kind of leaving the theater i said joma this movie feels more like jingle ma <laughs> <laughs> it is true because joma hasn't produced a proper movie since 2004 yeah. with love battlefield maybe he's rusty and he didn't direct that he he's just gone into the mode where he realized he can't make money in Hong Kong and he tries to make money in China and but he's not capturing the right taste. He's not doing the right thing and essentially he is one of the the, the reasons why Chinese netizens are are now are now really against Hong Kong directors because they all think the Hong Kong directors are going there to rip off the Chinese audience's money and they will not they will not be wrong yeah. if you keep looking at Joe Ma. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Uh, you know, they're all seduced by the dark side. He was seduced by the dark side of mainland China money. Um, all right, so yeah, that's uh, the Lion Roars two. See it at your own peril. Um, up next, though, we do have another film. This one, this time from Taiwan, which might appeal to some of the people in the chat room. Uh, we have a couple of people who are fans of Taiwan cinema. And uh, this is uh, Black and White, The Dawn of Assault. Uh, so, Kevin, can you give us a synopsis of uh, this movie that's got a long title and an almost equally long film length? Okay. Uh, Black and White, The uh, Dawn of Assault, is the prequel, actually, to a, a Taiwanese television uh, drama of the same name. That drama starred um, uh, Mark Chow and uh, Vic Chow. Um, as two cops in this uh, fictional city called Harbor City. Otherwise, I and other than that, I don't really know anything else about that series, which is good because I did not watch the series. So um, the film actually is a prequel and takes us all the way back uh, to the early days of the hero, uh, Wu Yingxiong, uh, played by Mark Chow, and uh, one of his first case, I guess, uh, involving a, um, a, ter- a possible terrorist conspiracy happening in Harbor City. Uh, the film starts with him... Um, Taking down a drug, uh, I think a drug bus, a drug deal, uh, in the middle of Harbor, which is uh, being done by um, uh, not drug deal, sorry, a, a, a diamond, 
deal, smuggling deal, uh, done between gangster da- Shu Dafu, played by Huan Bo, and uh, and some really shady businessman. Uh, Shu Dafu is a small-time thug, and and he's getting tired of the the business, and he wants out. So, with the gang, with the gang's money, he wants to do a very quick smuggling deal, and and essentially take the profit. Um, and then run off with uh, the woman he likes, the mistress of a rich man, played by Terry Kwan, uh, the owner of a piano bar. But uh, this deal got gets um, disrupted by by some guys dressed in black in a huge helicopter. So, um, but Wu Yingchun comes to the rescue and uh, rescues Xu Dafu and also the the case. Uh, but they realize they have to. They're in a lot deeper trouble than they seem when the SIS, the information, I guess the um, intelligence agency gets involved and um, they don't know really know who to trust because they get start big they, they get framed as um, you know as the bad guys here and middle, they also run into Fan Ning uh, played by Angel Baby a mysterious girl who is also who also has her own agenda and um, is threatening to disrupt uh, everything um, that's pretty much all I can say because it, it, the plot really is kind of huge so the only setup is okay Quambo and March how now to save the world um, by one 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 action scene at a time. That's essentially the <laughs> that that is essentially what I can say about the movie. Um, Taiwan does Hollywood. That's what black and white is. This is the highest, I think, the highest budget Taiwanese film. Um, I think next to Cedric Bali, I think it costs twenty five million U.S. dollars or something. No, maybe a little lower. I'm not sure, but it is it was very expensive. It was known to be very expensive. In fact, um, the production of the film was very well well publicized, especially the um. The uh the whole thing about um they flew in actually they 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 shipped a 747 from America just to shoot the um the ending the the climactic sequence in the end so a very huge film um and it could have been a very good clone of a Hollywood action buddy film if they didn't bother so much with packing with a story uh the director uh Tai Tai give me a second here as I look up the director's name uh sorry. Timing Lang, no. If Timing Lang had made this, it would be a much very very interesting movie. Uh, Tai Yushun, Tai Yushun is a, a TV director. Um, he directed the Meteor Garden and um, of course the TV version of Black and White, and does his film debut. And he's so used to TV that he packs everything. I guess packs kind of a TV style plot into a two and a half hour movie, and the result is way too much story running way too long. Um. We, I, I actually initially I didn't want to watch the the Hong Kong version that we got because it ran the same length as the mainland version, which is ten minutes shorter than the Taiwan version. But I found the truth over the weekend when I was um talking with with a colleague. Turns out that the Taiwan version, Tai Tai was so obsessed with 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 um cutting up the movie, editing the movie that he actually put out a incomplete version, a hundred and fifty seven minute version in Taiwanese cinemas that he wasn't finished with until two days before the release date. And because of the gap between the Taiwan release and the mainland release, he had extra time to essentially finish the movie by cutting out another 13 minutes. So the version we saw, that we saw here in Hong Kong, the version that China got apparently, is essentially the completed director's cut of the film, so to speak. Uh, because the original film was like, the original version was three and a half hours long, four hours long. Um, and you can imagine that uh, how many he cut, how much he cut out because... Um, and a character that was actually in the series, I played by Ivy Chan. Her her part got cut out entirely. Um, so you could you could tell how much story um, uh, Tsai had in his mind when he made the film. But but of course he had to kind of cut it out to two and a half hours. And it's still it's still fairly logical. The story runs 
fairly coherent if it didn't have so many twists. Um, anyway, the, the film is supposed to be known for action. It's okay, but I think it was pretty unremarkable. You know, we've seen, you know, Lethal Weapon, you've seen better, more explosive action. A lot of stuff blows up. Um, some of it looks good. Some of it don't. Um, especially the ending sequence when it rely a lot of CGI. Um, there, I actually quite like the attempt at humor. There's a lot of humor. Like I said, it is a clone of action buddy film from Hollywood, and it doesn't take itself too seriously, except for the, the whole story thing. But the actual, you know, Juanbo gives a lot of good comic relief, and um, there's some good humor in it. And even though a lot of it misses, I did appreciate that the the, the tone of it was kept relatively light until the really serious stuff comes up, or unless until they start getting to killing people. Um, and Huambo, the comic relief, I think is the best thing in the movie. Um, everyone else is really meh, you know, Angel Baby, she shows up, um, I, she didn't show up until like 40 minutes into the movie, and then at halfway point, she, she stops and explains everything for all of us, and then she disappears for a while, only to come back at like the end credits when the movie continues on through the end credits. Um, but Solar, Solar is a, is a twin rock band from, from Macau, and, um, they they're they're Korean usually in Hong Kong, but um, but they they have they play like a, a twin terrorists here, and they're having so much fun. It's actually quite funny to watch watch them, you know, ham it up. I think they're the most. I think they get what's going on in the movie, and they're already hamming it up. And I really like every second they're on screen, even though they're totally unintentionally funny. Um, I think I saw a few attempts to set up for the TV series, um, but like I said, I have a feeling that a lot of more of that setup got left on the cutting floor, cutting room floor, probably wisely because the movie might have been, you know, three hours long, and we no one wants to see a three-hour version of *Lethal Weapon*, right? Um, if you're a fan of series um, and you're curious to see how Taiwan tries to clone Hollywood, I guess it's there's a marginal C8 recommendation because I did kind of have fun, and you know, even 140 40 minutes is not boring at least. Um, otherwise, you know, watch it on like TV or. VCD or something. I don't know. It was okay, but uh, it's very flawed. Um, a lot of problems. Um, yeah, so if you're not into that whole... If you're not into Taiwanese cinema, if you're not interested in seeing how Asia does something that Hollywood's already done very well, but in an inferior fashion, then don't bother. Uh, Paul? Yeah. Um, my first thought, could this film be any longer? I mean, it, it was. Just, it went on and on and on. And the fact that you know, there was 10 minutes cut out of it. I was, I'm thankful for because <laughs> it just didn't, it wouldn't stop. And it, okay, it's kind of fun, you know, but it is just another typical buddy pairing. You've seen this before in Rush Hour. We've seen a similar thing before too. I mean, even though um, he's not playing a character from the mainland, you know, you do have this, uh, this sort of Taiwan mainland China thing going uh, between the characters that, that similar in, that that you had in uh, the film earlier this year with uh, J.C. Chan, Double Trouble, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but this one just goes on and on. It's one action scene after another, and then chase, and then bomb, and explosion, and action, and chase, and bomb, and explosion. And oh, here, let me explain what's going on a little bit. And then chase, and then bomb, and explosion. And, you know, okay. Yeah, I, I get that they're they're pushing their, their envelope, and they're pushing their budget, and they're they're trying to do Hollywood, and... Yeah, it's kind of fun. It's nothing really new. Uh, good size budget. Some some nice touches of sci-fi. It's a, it's a slightly you know it's not set in a real world place because again it's taking place in this place called Harbor City, 
And the basic plot is that they've got this antimatter bomb um, that the terrorists are trying to get a hold of. And they basically want to use it to start a war with this place called uh, uh, Pandawa. Okay. Now, you know, I'm thinking Panda. And is that like supposed to be China? I mean, it, it, it is to the east, according to the computer map, is east of the Harvest City. Yeah. So, so there, there's some, you know, there's some political references here, but they, they're very cleverly renamed. And I think it's because they expect this film to go international and get some, you know, playtime in the mainland as well. Um, but yeah, they're, you know, it's, it, their setup is sort of the adversary, the, 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 the enemy, um, as it were, even though there's sort of the, there's just a lot going on. They, they introduce so many different groups and, and factions. My head was spinning and I'm like, wait, what, wait, what? And, and it was very convoluted. It was kind of hard to follow in places. And, you know, it, it, it's all interspersed with just one chase scene and action scene after another. And then they tell you a little bit more and then, oh, here's a little bit of a twist. And then, okay, back to another chase scene. Um, the sad thing is, is for me was that as an action film, the action really wasn't that great. Um, you know, yeah, there's some guns, but there's a lot of fist fighting and, you know, it looks like they're trying to do some decent martial arts choreography, but it wasn't crisp. It wasn't clean. It wasn't, you know, it seemed like the one thing they really needed was to get somebody with, with this huge budget, get somebody, you know, uh, who knows how to film some good action sequences because that was really there were so many of them and none of them were outstanding you know um that there was a you know there were a couple of, there was some stunt work that i thought was was pretty interesting i mean there was a fight scene on top of a truck and it reminded me of jc's fight scene on top of the bus which was totally green screen but some of these shots they actually looked like they had mark chow up on this truck um and it looked like they were shooting some of it for real there is there is some cg in places that doesn't work well, um, there's a there's a whole action sequence with the black helicopter. The black helicopter just looks like it was kind of pulled uh, from a PlayStation Three. It, it just doesn't really work. Um, the the physics defying was, I think, how one of the one one of our, our groupmates, you know, watched the movie with with us that uh, defied it. Uh, you know, because sometimes the physics just don't seem to add up. In, in some places, but, but it's all fine. You know, again, it's supposed to be big, bold action. Um, the pairing itself, I don't know. I, I, Huang Bo is okay. And Mark Chow is okay. And I think actually Mark Chow is pretty decent as a, as an action leading man. I just, I, I never really bought into their developing relationship. Um, you know, his developing friendship with, um, with Huang Bo. Uh, Angela baby, like you said, shows up and really just weird because you know she's like using all these gadgets and things and i'm thinking hey that's kind of cool i want to see angela baby as bad girl you know or something because um you know she's got some of this techie stuff um but it's she's it's like she doesn't really know how to use it um and then you do get a shot of her in a bra which might be a draw for some people um but if you've been to baby cafe which is like the, sh the, the the local restaurant shrine to Angela Baby. Um, you see her in bikinis and stuff in, in her video posters that are all through her restaurant. So um, she she's not as exposed in terms of screen time 
as I thought she would be. You know, it's like you said, she shows up for a little while, she explains some things, and then she kind of disappears till the end. Um, and I, there's, you know, you get the sense that they want her as a romantic connection, but they don't really build on that. And I don't know if that's something that develops in the TV series or not. Haven't seen. The well, TV she's series. not in the TV show, so she's part. Is this part got cut out from the hour, the hour of stuff that got cut out? Um, and but there's again a lot of stuff that just doesn't make sense. Um, the beginning is this whole big sequence of them testing this antimatter bomb, and they tie a guy down. And his, like, family's there. And I'm like, what do those guys have to do with anything? They never really go back and explain that, you know. Um, um, as I said, there are lots of lots of players, lots of twists. At some point, because it's so long, you stop caring. Um, but the main thing is, is that one of the main conflicts in the film is never resolved. Um, one, of the, one of the key motivations that sort of starts out in, 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 in the film with uh, Huangbo's character it never gets resolved, and I, I'm, maybe that's what the TV series is about. I don't know, but it just felt like, you know, how are they going to fix this thing, this issue? And they never really kind of go back and, and deal with it. What was the thing? You, if... Well, you know, because he basically, to do the diamond exchange, he kind of, you know, stole money from his boss. Oh, and... yeah, yeah. The I, I just, I'm looking up the TV show in the... Um in the uh in wikipedia and yeah. the, the the gang actually is a plays a huge part in the tv series but i don't think that that particular plot is is resolved yeah because that was like that was like the huge thing you know it's like um that that's a primary motivation for him throughout the, the whole like three quarters of the film it's because you know he's gonna you know basically he's he's double crossed his boss and and that's gonna be a problem for him uh, and then it's like it never touched on uh, by the end. But, because the character isn't isn't in the show. Yeah, uh, the film continues even into the credits, which was kind of annoying. Um, you know, it, it, this is a, a I guess a trend of current cinema. But come on, end the film and then roll credits. You don't kind of end the film, roll some credits, and then show some more of the film, and then show even more of the film, and then roll more credits. Uh, you know, just. I don't know. Keep them separate. Maybe I'm too old school in my thinking. Um, solar. What the heck? <laughs> um, you know, if, hilarious. if you know who Solar is, you just I didn't see them as a villain here. And, and it it kind of took me out of it, especially one of the brothers who was wearing this really weird wig and just totally seemed over the top and and. You know, you've got all these other very serious players. You've got like Alex Toe in there, and and you've you've got these triad guys, and and there's 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 a couple brutal sequences, in fact, in a few places. And then you've got these two goofballs, and they're supposed to be like the masterminds behind everything. And it's just like what I it, it didn't seem to really um, fit all that well. But if you're in for a popcorn movie, and you like Kevin said, you want to see Taiwan kind of do hollywood and you've got two and a half hours to kill um you might just enjoy this film uh i'd say you know it's it's worth uh it's it's worth tv time for sure because you can hit pause you know and you can you can mm. go and you can uh and get some snacks and relieve yourself in the cinema it's it was a bit of a challenge for me i like films that are like 90 minutes or or so you know but when you're pushing uh two and a half hours it, it takes a lot to hold my interest, and this film started to lose me uh, in a few places. Um, 
Uh, but yeah, I, I was, I again, nice budget, some nice touches of sci-fi and sort of an alternate reality. Um, you know, it's, I'm not sure, why do you think they're pairing Mark Cho and Angela Baby? You know, this is the, their second pairing within a year. So... Um, I don't think it's an intentional thing, because it's one of those, Andrew Baby is one of the rising stars, and Mark Chow was in the original show. So, uh, he actually, Mark Chow, that was Mark Chow's big breakthrough. Um, he was in, he came back from Canada, and he got, he auditioned, and he got picked to do his show, and then afterward, he did only movies, he hasn't done another TV show since, so that was his big breakthrough. So, mm-hmm. obviously, he was going to be returning for the film, and the film's co, the original, um, original co-star, um, Vic Chow, she did not choose not to come back, so I had to go in a different, totally different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's in some ways it kind of reminded me a little bit of Turning Point. Um, you know, because it's a similar premise. It's you've got a successful TV drama, and so they decide to make it into a film, and they do so as a prequel, right? Uh, um, and lucky for us, uh, it was a big flop in Taiwan, and uh, it did okay in China, but still not enough to uh, for for a sequel. This film was a flop. This film was a huge flop in Taiwan. Actually, only made back one third of its budget. Mm, wow, interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, this, again, not terrible. Uh, if you like over-the-top action buddy movies, uh, you might give it a shot. All right, I think we are going to move on and talk about uh, West Screen film for a moment. East Screen, West Screen. All right, so we have one uh, West Screen film to talk about this week, and that is the film called Moonrise Kingdom. Now, I haven't seen this, uh, but Kevin, you have seen it, and you're a fan of Wes Anderson, so uh, can you tell us about Moonrise Kingdom? Yeah, um, Moonrise Kingdom is the latest film from uh, Wes Anderson, a uh, director who bought us um, Rushmore and Road Tenenbaums and uh, most recently The Fantastic Mr. Fox. So this is his return, I guess, to from back from uh, stop motion back to live action. Um, and the story takes place in 1965 in a small island um, out in the, the northeast in New England. Um, the film actually stars uh, um, Jared Gilman, a young young actor uh, named uh, Sam, uh, who is a scout, a khaki scout member um, in in that island. And then one day he he runs away from the camp, and uh, the camp the camp leader, scoutmaster. Um, Edward Norton decides to lead the scout uh, to go look for him. Uh, the movie flashes back to a couple uh, a year ago, uh, and we realize that Sam is actually ha- having a kind of a secret affair with Susie, a young girl who lives on the other side of town, and uh, they've been exchanging letters, you know, talking about their own their the troubles in their own lives, and decide to run away together. Uh, so that also so when when even Susie runs away, then her mother Laura and and her father. Uh, Walt, played by Bill Murray. Uh, the mother's played by Frances Bedore, by the way. Um, they have to work with uh, the local police captain, played by Bruce Willis, uh, to go find the two of them. Um, and that's essentially the the setup. Uh, I won't go into much more because then the film, of course, then look at the 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 two the two eloping kids and their little journey and what happened. Everything happens after that is a real adventure. So I don't want to ruin too much. Um, like I said, I'm a huge like Paul said. I'm a huge uh, Wes Anderson fan. Um, and this is the most unabashedly uh, Wes Anderson film since the Royal Tenenbaums, I think. A lot of his quirky humor, very deadpan, um, a lot of jokes that you might not catch the first time, um, things that, you know, you really have to kind of, you don't really expect, and then after you go back and then you catch it all, and it's actually very hilarious. Um, he, Wes Anderson went through a real, really cynical period, I think. Um, 
after World well, Tenet Bombs of the Life Aquatic and um, and the Jilly Limited, where his characters are very cynic, uh, are very cynical and. The humor went kind of dark, and the characters became very unlikable. But he began stripping that cynicism since uh, the fantastic Mr. Fox, and um, so so it's glad to see him um, going back to that you know sweet, cute, deadpan humor that he had with, you know even in Rushmore. Um, this may be his sweetest film yet. This is a uh, very much a, a youth romance film and very happy ending, a, a very much a romantic comedy so to speak, but Wes Anderson style. Um, you could say it's an innocent romance, but not really. There's some stuff in the middle that that earns the PG-13 rating. Um, I think I like to call Wes Anderson humor uh, very deadpan, and I call it comedy for stuffy art people. People, you know, this kind of nonsense, nonsensical humor, but for you know art people who don't like to crack a smile or anything. Uh, this is exactly I think what, what Wes Anderson movie does does for people. Um, it practically demands to be seen twice. I'm gonna I think I'm gonna try and watch it again tomorrow. Try and catch everything or review stuff that I really like. Um, or, or rewatch my favorite moments uh, is that kind of movies, um, but of course the the one the central joke here is that the adults are more immature than the kids because they often you know they they squabble and they have these illicit affairs and you don't know who's 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 with who and and um, things like that and and the way they deal with their own their own troubles in their lives are often you know they often uh, express themselves in a very immature manner. Um, so you see, you know, Edward Norton and Bruce Willis and, you know, Bill Murray, you know, going going nuts at, at certain moments. And actually, uh, Bruce Willis and Edward Norton actually make a great team. Um, Edward Norton is surprisingly sympathetic as the scoutmaster. Um, of course, Bruce Willis is, you know, great as Bruce Willis in a, Bruce, uh, in a Wes Anderson movie. So, you know, that's always worth watching. Um, you know, I'm a, you would love it if you're a Wes Anderson fan, but this so unabashedly his style that I'm not sure if this would be a good introductory work for 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 someone who's trying to watch Wes Anderson films I think what, Rush, what, what or, would be and if um if you were going to recommend to someone who's never seen a Wes Anderson film what would you tell them to start with I think uh I think Rushmore and even the Road Tenenbaums which is actually Road Tenenbaums is still uh Wes Anderson's most successful film and um I would start Rushmore and then Road Tenenbaums and then get to this one and if you find yourself liking Wes Anderson, then go back to his, you know, less acclaimed movie. You no, know, actually, even Fantastic Mr. Fox, um, totally suitable for kids, and but but you know retains a lot of his humor, and I think also a great introductory work um, for people who want to know his work. And then you can test yourself by with the Life Aquatic and the Darjeeling Limited, see if if his movies are really are for you. Uh, I, I like those movies, but I I would be honest and admit that those are inferior quote-unquote inferior Wes Anderson films um but otherwise um and again this one is really against really his style so you know it's not really for everyone um but still um I like it a lot um I laughed a lot and I think the Hong Kong audiences laughed laughed uh they laughed more than I expected but there are really some really good good moments here, uh, and of course visually, um, Wes Anderson keeps up with that the, the same framing style he does with all of his films. That the the frame never tilts; it's always straight and it's always a uh, symmetrical. Uh, it moves in the same same kind of uh, movement that he's always done in the last I don't know decade and a half. Um, so I love all those stuff. So I would say see it, see it, see it, see it. It's one of my favorite movies of the year. Yeah, that's Moonrise Kingdom. All right. Uh, you know, the when I saw the name Moonrise Kingdom, I don't know, maybe the gamer geek in me, I instantly thought of uh, thought it was like a 
Japanese RPG or something. Hmm. Um, where you get to farm on the moon, like Harvest <laughs> Moon or Kingdom I wouldn't be surprised if it, I wouldn't be surprised if Wes Anderson make that movie one day. Yes. <laughs> I can only hope. Right? <laughs> All right. Uh, let us move on. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Kongcast.com for more. All right. That brings us to our comment section for the podcast. Uh, we got a couple of questions this week uh, from the chat room. We got a question from Blue Summers X19A. He says, uh, or uh, says, my question is, what are your thoughts on JC Fong slash Chan? Uh, I think he has good comedic timing and expression and is well suited in young adult roles like uh, Too Young and Breakup Club. But I just saw Double Trouble and I was astonished and not the nice kind. Double Trouble was really underwhelming because JC Fong just isn't suited to action movies uh, unlike his father. Jumping three feet from a platform to a mound of dirt and a long shot of him running down a grassy hill and passing them off as stunts made me put up my hands in the air and think, what the hell is this crap, really? Um, really? Uh, the plot wasn't very believable either because it was a, a 60 kg dude and a, uh, it, that a 60 kg dude is a security guard. Uh, I really wouldn't want to have, have him have my back, just saying. Um, you know... Uh, I think we touched on this when we reviewed Double Trouble uh, a few episodes back. I, I think I'm kind of in the same boat. Uh, I don't think he's got the, he doesn't have the background. He doesn't have the skills to be the action hero. Um, you know, I think if we looked side by side, uh, Double Trouble with, um, with the, the film today, Black and White, The Dawn of Assault, much too long for a name. Um, <laughs> and what does that even mean? the dawn of assault it's like the assault never happens it's it's but what does it mean the dawn of assault i, I mean that's just a weird i don't know anyway but comparing these two movies and and the two leads um i think mark chow is much better suited for action roles i mean i don't i don't know how they stack up you know stats wise in terms of height and weight but i found him and the stunts that he did a lot more believable than jc again jc was doing a lot of green screen stuff that wasn't filmed very well in double trouble um, and again, I do think that, uh, I, I agree that JC's got good, uh, a good sense of timing for comedy. I loved him in, in East meets West. Um, and I think that given the right role, you know, he's very good. Uh, too young was great. Uh, uh, he was fine in breakup club. I didn't care for breakup club for reasons that were more on the director than on the actors. Um, but I th- yeah, I think he, given the right role, he's perfectly capable. I don't think he's intending to follow in his father's footsteps, but I think that there are probably people willing to bank on him because of his name and because of that association, and so that these roles may come up where they offer him, you know, uh, to do an action film, even though that may not be his forte. Uh, wh- what are your thoughts, Kevin? Um, I think half of Jackie Chan... Um... Half Jackie Chan is about comic timing anyway, and and I think JC JC has picked up a lot on those on that skill. Um, yes, the truth is um, um, JC does not have the the physical training that his dad has. Um, but you know, I don't think Jackie was ever known for his um, 
physique either. You know, he was yeah. he's short. Then right? again, short, to be fair, nearly nobody does. When we look at the current gen of of actors who you'd put sort of in the same, you know, in that same generation, and I'm thinking of people like Nicholas Say, Stephen Fong, um, you know, and others who are, you know, still still in that 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 young area where they can do young roles and do action stuff. None of them are trained martial artists. I mean, th that era is gone. And a lot of the action that these guys do end up doing, it's wire work and it's green screen stuff and CG stuff, right? I mean, I'm thinking back to what was, um, what was, who, who's the guy from Taiwan? I always get them confused with uh, JC Chan. Uh, singer um, was in Lust Caution. Lee Home. Lee Home, yeah. Um, he was in, what was that, that movie with Sammo? The Avenging Fist, right? Yeah, also, um, also a China Strike Force. Yeah, yes, and and you know, so these guys, they don't. I mean, they've got the look and they've they've got the charisma, but they don't actually have the 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 moves and and the, the stunt background. Um, you know, like people like Jackie and Samo and and uh, people who are actually stuntmen. You know, Chin Kalok and and some others that pop into my head. Um, so you know, it's a trade off, and unfortunately, with the the, the rise in CG. Um, we don't have a lot of people who have the skills anymore um, because the skills can be manufactured and, and, and put in by computer. And, yeah, and if you ask me, actually, I didn't think Mark Chow was, has, the, has the charisma that JC has in terms of pulling off an action lead role, I think. I think he was okay in black and white. I don't remember he did any particular stunts that was worth, worth mentioning. Um, I know Blue Summers, it wasn't quite... Happy with the jumping free feet, jumping from a platform to a mountain dirt. But if you ask how many young actors are willing to do it, you look at the EG idols. Are they willing to do it? Probably not. That's and, and that's that's about I think that's 10, 20 feet. Yeah. Um, I don't think Mark Chow would, would be willing to do that stunt. Yeah. So you know you have to give him a little bit of credit here. JC Chan is trying, and he is already halfway there with in terms of comic timing, in terms of uh, I think in some way charisma. Um, I think he's often people don't often give give him enough credit. For, for his uh, how far he's gone since uh, he's come since Twins Effect Two. Yeah, Blue Summers also mentions in the chat room that uh, uh, Dennis Toe is kind of the exception, right? You look at the Dennis Toe films like Woman Night of Mirror Lake or Ip Man. He's kind of following in the footsteps of Donnie Yen. Um, you know, I, I at, saw I saw those two movies, and I thought Dennis Toe can't can't doesn't have more than two expressions on his face. Yeah, see, that's that's the trade off, though, right? That's it. He he's got the action, he knows the moves, he's got the training. It doesn't have a whole lot of charisma. That yeah. that's sort of the downside, you know. So whereas you've got you'll have guys like Daniel Wu and others, tons of charisma, don't have the they don't have the the, the skills, right? Someone also asked uh, earlier last week about. Um, about Wu Jing, uh, where yeah. he's gone, and same same problem. Uh, he has the he has the um, he has the, the the skills, but and I hate to sound racist, but he looks like one of the robbers from Long Arms of the Law. <laughs> That's why Uncle Audio has never bought him because he is his mainland background and and the the fact that he looks like he he gives off that vibe that he he can never he can never shed off that SPL. Uh, vibe that he's a Mandarin speaking villain yeah. character. He's never played a, a practical, a suitable hero. Yeah. Um, I, again, I think it comes down to uh, 
you know, it just comes down to the director and knowing how to use certain actors in certain ways. Um, you know, there are plenty of people who've taken on martial roles before who aren't solid martial artist background. You know, um, Andy Lau's done martial roles. Um, uh, who's some Aaron Kwok, you know, um, and, and I think with the right director, the right action choreographer and stunt team, you can certainly pull stuff off. Um, I think, again, the bigger problem is that all too often today, it's left in the hands of CG and CG artists. And, you know, that tends to sometimes not work in the favor of the actors. Um, who's, who was the one um, I'm thinking of from uh, uh, Tsui Hark's movie, uh, Detective D. Uh, Deng Chao? Didn't chow? Uh, he, you know, he was all right in that role, uh, and he he had some action scenes, and I don't think he's a he's got a big you, action background, does he? I I don't think so. But how was how was he? What do you think of his action um, work in the four? Uh, well, the four, <laughs> the four <laughs> again suffers from a lot of CG, you know, and and, and those kinds of problems. But actually, so. yes, Dun Chow is much better known as an actor for his work, um, as an actor than his action work. But, um, you know, the right action people, I mean, he has a very extensive experience um, in acting. And we'll see his um, pure acting side when the Peter Chan movie comes out, when he stars as, uh, as a, yeah, in, uh, what was it called? Chinese, no, American Dreams in China, the new Peter Chan film when it comes out next year. We'll find out. Can't wait. Um, all right. So, yeah, J.C. Chan. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm looking forward to more stuff that he does. I don't think he's, I think he knows he's not going to be in, you know, mostly an action guy like his dad. And, and the same thing, you know, reverse the whole situation. How many times did Jackie come out and say, I'm not going to do action. I want to do serious drama, you know, and, and he tried some things and it didn't work, you know, and he went back to what he was good at, what he knew, um, and uh, similar similar idea, Jet Li, right? Uh, he's come out a few times and said, not doing any more action stuff. And he does, you know, he'll come out and try to do a drama thing once in a while. But then he's back doing action again. So, um, you know, I, I think in, in, in China cinema and Hong Kong cinema, people tend to stick with what they're good at because that's ultimately what they get offered. I think JC's, you know, I, I don't think he wants to be in the shadow of his dad. And I think the more that he tries to do action, he'll be just constantly compared to that so yeah another question uh we got this uh kind of through twitter discussion with uh some guy who runs a website called uh, sogoodreviews.com or sleazy something or other i don't know mm. um yeah but uh ken burson wrote in he says or asked uh, his whatever happened to anya and so we got into sort of an interesting discussion on twitter and i thought i'd bring this up here um you know anya was sort of a big thing for a while, she was a part of a an, an up and coming group of model actresses in you know just in the sort of the post millennial era here in Hong Kong. I'm thinking like Maggie Q, uh, Lisa S, and some others who were kind of big on the modeling scene and doing some film work at the same time. Uh, last week we talked about Naked Soldier, and Anya was in the in the film Naked Weapon, directed by Ching Siu Tong, um, and then she kind of you know, disappeared, um, from, you know, sort of headline productions. Uh, and as I look at some of the stuff off offered, uh, by your employer over at Yes Asia, um, you know, she's got us, got some stuff that's out. looks like a film called Emotional Barcelona from 2009, uh, 
with some, I guess they're Taiwan or mainland people. I don't know. I didn't see that. Uh, another Taiwan movie, 2005, called The Army. She's got a role in. She was also in Mysterious Island last year. Yeah, she was in Mysterious Island last year. Uh, 2007, Ghost in the House, starring Annie Wu. Uh, it says, uh, it, it's listed on, was she in What Women Want with Andy Lau? Apparently so, according to uh, Lopichi from .com, but very minor role. Probably. Yeah. So she's been picking up minor work. She really hasn't had a starring, uh, you know, a leading role in in a number of years. And if my memory serves me, she got into a car accident. And I think she had a little trouble with the law with, I don't know, drinking or drugs or something. Drugs, drugs. With William So, I think back in 2002. And so that kind of put the kibosh on her career for a while because she had to go through some surgery after the accident and things. Um, but she looked looked fine and and you know perfectly was perfectly capable in Mysterious Island. Not that that was a a great movie, but we do have a commentary on it if you're interested. Well, plus she's an ex-con, yeah. So maybe that doesn't help. <laughs> well, then again, so was um wasn't Louis Koo? <laughs> not not publicly. Not not publicly. Not, not publicly. Okay. Not publicly. Um. So you know, but the, you know, the idea is that um one of the things I was saying is that I think that her time is kind of passed. And yeah. even like Maggie Q, she's she's kind of the most successful to come out of that batch. You know, she's found some success in Hollywood films and now with the the new Nikita series. Um, but like some of the other girls who are part of that group, um, it's kind of past their time. They they were sort of pre the pseudo model or the Langmo phenomenon, you know, with Chrissy Chow and the and and that and Angela Baby and those girls. And now you have the sort sort of the rise of the mainland starlets with. Um, you know, mini Yang and, and stuff. So I, I think that the industry's kind of moved past uh, that particular group. I mean, would you? What, what would be your thoughts on that, Kevin? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, after the the the, it's just you have different generations of, of models coming up, and essentially she missed out on her time. I mean, she still gets a little bit of work in China and things like that. She was in Chengdu, I Love You, FYI. Um, you know, she still gets some, she got some work, but she would never be, she pretty much had her time. I think she, in the middle of her prime, she got caught with that, the drugs, and it became, um, uh, a pretty damaging thing for her career. Um, but you know, she's still around and kicking, which is good, I guess. Yeah. And it, I was, I was thinking back, it didn't, isn't there a, like a model, uh, a model DVD with her and some of the others, where they're like on a photo shoot on some Asian beaches or something. Um, I can't remember the name of it. I, and I want to say that, um, what's her name from uh, Dream Home was was in that as well. Uh, who's who's the actress in Dream Home? Uh, Josie Ho. Josie Ho, yeah. I think she was, on, she was on that DVD. I, I looked on Yes Asia, I couldn't find it. Okay. Uh, but I did see it. I have seen it in stores locally. I just, it, it had... It, it was called like Angels in Asia or Dream Asia or something like that. And it was basically sort of the precursor to the to the DVDs you see now with featuring some of the Langmos, like Chrissy Chow and things. Uh, but it was it was like this core group of models. And I think it was Lisa S and Maggie Q and, and a couple other girls who were part of that that group who did this this DVD and released it. And uh, I haven't seen it in on store shelves because this is, again was like, you know, almost ten years ago. Um, and, uh, it, it still might be circulating in some smaller shops around there, but yeah, among those models, like you said, Maggie Q had her biggest, you know, went to America, 
Hollywood, things like that. Um, Lisa is still very active here, you know, doing promotions and also, you know, the wife of Daniel, so obviously. And but very still active, very active in the model world. But yeah, Anya, um, still active, but not will never be. I think I think she's missed out on her chance to be a breakout star, you know, sort of like Lisa S or like uh, even like uh, Maggie Q. Yeah. So as I look at uh, Yes Asia, Sleepless in Taipei, uh, two thousand and two movie. Sounds like it's right up your alley, alley, uh, Mr. Brorson. You can uh, do that as a uh, you know one of your uh, your focuses on uh, Taipei. All right, I think that's going to wrap things up for our comments. Um, If you would like to be part of the show, of course, you can always get in touch with us via our website at uh, concast.com. You can go over there, leave some comments, um, or get in touch with us through the uh, mail function over there. Of course, you can find us on iTunes, and we would love for you to go and leave us some feedback if you like the show, if if you don't like the show, if you want to see some changes to the show. um, Let us know. Let us know how we're doing. Twitter.com slash Concast to follow the show and updates of when we're going to be doing stuff or when shows are going to be canceled. Um, Try and keep that regularly updated with general show information. Uh, Twitter.com slash Foxlore if you're interested in following the inanities of my daily life. Uh, Not not much of interest these days, uh, but I do tweet the occasional geek story, geek-related story. Um, Twitter.com slash The Golden Rock, though, if you'd like to follow Mr. Ma, who tweets frequently uh, about movie news, China news, um, what's going on with uh, film markets, and all kinds of interesting stuff, so I do urge you to follow him. Uh, If you'd like to contact us on email, the email is eastscreen at gmail.com. Send us some questions, some comments, a short audio review, and we'll play it here on the show. And of course, you can drop by and visit us on the Facebook, that is facebook.com, East S West S, facebook.com slash East S West S. Um, go over there and find out what's going on with news and, and other updates and information from there as well. Uh, Stitcher, you can catch us on Stitcher if you'd like to stream the show. Listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry, and your WebOS phones. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Um, Stitcher smart radio, it's the smarter way to listen to radio, and we thank them for their support. Additional thanks go out to Rob Gobbers of Schnauzer Studios for our theme, uh, Ross Chen of LoveHKFilm.com for helping organize movie nights here in Hong Kong, uh, The K-Man, Kevin Ma, for sticking with me for 122-plus episodes now, and, of course, you, the listeners, for being here each and every week, whether you listen to us live on the live stream, which we are now doing through Justin or Twitch TV. I don't know which one it is. One of those. <laughs> um, um, or you listen to us in podcast form or if you stream us over at the website. However you do it, we like the fact that you're there, and we hope that you enjoy the show. Uh, Next episode, 123, might be happening in two weeks. Uh, I've got family coming in uh, from tomorrow, and they're going to be here for about 10 days. Um, And I don't know if I'm going to be able to get out and see any films while they're here. Uh, Though we do have The Thieves this week. We've got um, Paradise Island with which I think that pairs a Simon Yam and Joan Chen, right? That's an interesting pairing. And also, um, uh, uh, Chen Chung is a playing a Korean man. Yeah. Um, but the problem is, I don't know if I'm going to be able to have time to get out and see those. I'm going to try. Um, but I'm right now, the official schedule for the next episode is in two weeks. But if that changes, I will update the site and let you all know. Um, but it looks like we'll be talking about those two films and whatever else comes out between now and then. I think we've got uh, some West Screen stuff coming. There's a another Resident Evil movie. I don't know if 
that's in the, within the next two weeks or not. But uh, I'm excited to see it just because I want to see Lee Bingbing as Ada Wong. Um, so yeah, there'll be that and anything else now between now and then that you can think of, Kevin. Uh, actually, plenty of movies. We have uh, next week. We have uh, oh geez, oh geez. What do we have next week? Uh, we have a local film actually every week. Uh, still, next week supposedly is the new, new, new Laughing God movie. Um, even though we've heard nothing about it, no trailer. Um, but apparently, it's been shown in some cinemas, and and they're yeah. saying it's next there, weekend. There, I think uh, there's also some sneak. I saw some sneak previews for Bullet Vanishes this weekend. Ah, Bullet Vanishes is, is um, this uh, previous this weekend, but next week again. This, it comes there's out also the, a, a Singapore week. movie that I want to get out and see. It's the part of the I'm Not Stupid series, I think. Uh, I'm Not Naughty, yes. Yeah. That's the um, third film. There's just a lot uh, to get out and see, and unfortunately I don't have time to see everything, but uh, we'll be the talking about two. something, right? Yes, also The Expendables 2 while watching this weekend. I haven't even seen Expendables 1. <laughs> I'm so behind. <laughs> All right, but whatever it is, all of that and much more will be on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen, wishing you good viewing, and we will see you next time. See you next time, everybody. Uh